You're listening to The Story Connective. In this episode, you'll hear about the Common Ground Collective, an organization that is boosting true food security and economic opportunity by helping people grow food on their own properties. What we're really looking to do is work with the environment rather than against it. So planting smart, making sure that we're working with the climate, the rainfall, that we're choosing as many native plants as we can to input in those designs. Welcome to the Story Connective. I'm Rebecca Rhapsody. Our guests today think in possibilities. They are Therese, Jennifer, and Nick from Common Ground Collective, and they are tackling and problem-solving a rather complex situation, Hawaii's food system. Now, Hawaii imports roughly 90% of its food. We are thousands of miles away from where most of the food we eat is grown. And if an emergency happens and the ships with the food can't make it to harbor, the grocery store shelves around here would get empty pretty quickly. Now, there's a lot of systems in place that determine how and why Hawaii's food systems are the way they are. And luckily, a big emergency hasn't happened yet. Still, most everyone admits that this situation could use improvement. And many people are trying to figure out how we solve this situation and make Hawaii's food system more resilient. Enter Common Ground Collective, a new nonprofit run by an intelligent, determined, strikingly young group of masterminds who are advocating solutionary ways of addressing the gaps in Hawaii's local food system. And they are based on Maui, so they're starting up operations on Maui. Jen, Therese, and Nick earned their degrees from the University of Hawaii in sustainable science management. Overwhelmed by all the problems of today, they decided to focus on what they could do to help improve their community's future. They noticed that one asset that Maui has is a lot of agriculturally zoned, privately owned land. Now much of this land is legally bound to be producing more food than it currently is. If these properties had the support to be in food production, they could literally add tons of food to the island's food system. So Common Ground Collective has been designed to make it easy for people to grow more food on their property. Common Ground Collective will employ mobile farmers with the skills and passion to transform unproductive lands into blossoming small farms throughout our community. And they will also provide the administrative and marketing support to get these crops to buyers and the profits to the landowners. Common Ground Collective's mission is also to educate folks about regenerative land care practices, healthy lifestyles, and growing food. Their design stacks functions, meaning that by doing one thing, they yield multiple results. By helping small landowners produce more food on their agricultural land, Common Ground Collective is designed to yield multiple benefits for the Maui community. And in this episode, we're going to learn how that works. We sat down with the founders and board members of this inspiring organization to learn more about how Common Ground Collective works, how it's designed, what the goals are, and why they're so motivated to make this happen. Here's what they had to say. My name is Jennifer Karaja, and I'm the executive director and co-founder of Common Ground Collective. My name is Therese Masters, and I'm the president and co-founder. My name is Nicholas Timponi, and I am a board member, and I am the chair of the Innovations Committee. Therese and Nick, you guys grew up here on Maui. 
right? Yeah. Yes. How did that come into your, your motivation and passion for this project? Being born and raised on the island um, really gave me a sense of connectiveness, and uh, I don't know any other home, so wanting to make the best and the most of what our future holds, um, especially now that I have my daughter, uh, it really makes me look to the systems that need help, and our agriculture system definitely needs some help. Um, I grew up in Haile Miley, which is a plantation town here, and so when I was at the bus stop waiting to go to school, there were plantation workers getting on their buses go heading out to the field. And so that's what I think about when um, I think about our future is what those people had to work for in the plantation system and now what I get to work for in our new agricultural system. Yeah, and I'll just sort of echo a little bit of what Therese said. And I don't know any other home. And so being able to uh, now in my adulthood recognize that you have to you know take care of uh, everything around you because it takes care of you I think it's just sort of a full circle moment where you feel like you want to help or improve stuff that you see going on uh, in your community and uh, it's just uh, it comes from a sense of home you know this is your home and you got to be able to uh, make your ways here through life and so it's easy to do. It's easier or ideal to do that uh, while having a positive impact of the things around you, and also you get to see the benefits of it uh, firsthand because it's a. It is an island, and it's all very close quarters, and so you can see changes here. And when you see them happening for the better, it's it's always a good feeling. And uh, I think promoting that feeling is what has just helped me kind of through everything that we're going through. <laughs> Nick, you grew up surfing and are passionate about everything in and around the ocean. How do you see the connection between this passion and supporting the resilience of our local food system? Um, well, I think I would just start with saying that surfing gave me just a broad appreciation for uh, nature and whether that's in the ocean or on the land. And um, ultimately, the health of the ocean starts on land as everything funnels down into the sea. And so I think it was a pretty easy bridge uh, to gain real appreciation, especially as I got older and got more interested in understanding where my food came from and what I was eating and um, got a little more aware of uh, the stuff I'm putting in my body and what my family and friends and the community around me are are doing in that sense. So it was pretty easy to share the passion that I have with surfing uh, also with the health of the land and health of uh, the food systems we have here on the island. So Jen and Therese, you guys are very passionate about problem solving and puzzles. Can you talk about how this passion plays into the creation of Common Ground Collective? So we both um, went to the sustainable science management course at UHMC and um, well, the degree, the course in general is really depressing because you're just learning about all these issues that are not only going on globally, but within our own island community. And we're both moms and um, I think both of us kind of have little OCD triggers for sure. So um, that all plays a role in problem solving and um, wanting to make things more cohesive and working and flowing, um, not only, you know, just for the fact of the system, but for our community and for future generations. 
How does replacing lawns with small farms address economic security and food security? When you replace lawns with small farms, this is money that goes into the pocket of moms and dads or retirees or anybody that has these lawns rather than a larger scale farm operation that may take the profits offshore. Um, it also starts to fill in the gaps of what we are missing here and what we can grow here to also spur added value products and businesses by local community members. So the economic portion of that is just the more you grow here and keep here, that is more revenue for the local economy because we're bringing multiple players into the food system. I also think that it's super important to you know, kind of put this out there. Not everybody knows that we import upwards of 90% of our food here on the island and in, in Hawaii in general. And um, we're really susceptible to natural disasters and economic crises as well. So the model that we've created is kind of like a true sustainability model to where if the market crashes or we don't have things coming in from out of um, the state, people will start to be able to, you know, trade and barter with their neighbors and be able to go out to look to themselves for these resources because we've helped them cultivate them. So it really addresses food security at the true sustainability level. Mm -hmm. And as Jen said, we're not just looking at what's impacting us, also what's impacting the areas of food growth. So a few years ago, the San Joaquin Valley in California had a massive trout. That's where most of our food is coming from. So if the areas that are growing our food become impacted, that then impacts us. We have to think further along the, the current system line and not just what's coming in, where is it coming from too. So in growing foods in people's backyards and then teaching them how to grow their food, it gives them an opportunity to see firsthand how it is to feed themselves and to feed their families. And then that can only continue to go on and on. If we make it easy for them to understand and to grow, then there's no reason why they wouldn't continue to do that. So it's an answer in sustainable economic growth and an answer in self-sufficiency growth. So one thing I think is just so intriguing about Common Ground Collective is how you are thinking in systems. And Common Ground Collective is it's got a lot of different facets to it. You guys are stacking functions, meaning you have designed it so that one action that you're doing addresses multiple issues. And that that can take a little bit to grasp because there's a lot of different facets that you're looking at. So let's go through these systems that you're addressing and the issues in these systems one at a time. So first of all, you're helping landowners on the island put agriculturally designated lands back into agricultural production. Can you talk a bit more about what is the system here, how it works, what the issues are, and how Common Ground Collective is addressing these issues? So the majority of the land in Maui is zoned agriculture. And so there are three separate departments in the county that govern uh, the zoning of agriculture. There's uh, planning, water, and real property tax. In order for you to get a building permit on your land, you need to submit a farm plan. And part of that farm plan is creating a site plan of which 51% of your acreage 
is put into some sort of farm production. There has not been any follow-up to that in the planning department. As of yet, they are starting to do that now. Uh, so we're willing to go out and help implement that farm plan, put that 51% into cultivation. So basically, nobody was really addressing that issue before. That was a market that was completely untapped. There was nobody going to help landowners really to get those lots into cultivation. So the average landowner you know, may have two or three jobs, various sports they have to take their kids to. A lot of our landowners are aging. So even though they may have once been able to take care of their farm or had, you know, kids to help them, their kids may have grown up and left or not been able to contribute. And so they're just left with these properties that aren't able to be maintained. So that's another thing. And then also people that come over and retire over here that are older have inherited or bought these agricultural lots with existing orchards, but they don't know anything about farming. So we're losing all of that food that could be put into the system because there wasn't really anybody addressing that except for a few amazing farmers that would go out and work privately for landowners, but on a large scale, it wasn't really being addressed. Um, so that's kind of how we're helping in that area because we're focusing on it where everybody else had kind of not really like given up on it, but just maybe didn't see it as a viable source. Mm -hmm. um, but we feel that with the amount of agricultural lots that are on Maui that could be productive, especially um, when they're supposed to be 51% in production, it creates a lot of food that could be grown here. Mm -hmm. And because it was not previously done, there's a lot of landscapes that can be turned into foodscapes in agriculture now. And so that's uh, the goal is to turn the current scapes to foodscapes. Okay. I'm gonna back up even more because I don't think <coughs> a lot of people know how the ag land designation, but people own these like two acre, four acre lots that are supposed to be in ag production. Can you can you also talk about that? Like what the system is, how it's already set up. <laughs> yeah. So to kind of paint a picture here, if there's a one of these lands that are supposed to be in 51% agricultural production, then there's an orchard on this land that they don't know how to take care of, but it's there and it could be producing food for the island. Common Ground Collective will send a mobile farming unit to their land to get those orchards into production and to get that food to market so that people can enjoy it and increase food security and food access. Mm -hmm. It also benefits the landowner not only because they have somebody that's maintaining their property, but they get agricultural tax credits too. So instead of your land being assessed at market value, which is tremendously higher, it's assessed at agricultural value. So that is another benefit to them on top of having a beautifully foodscaped yard and contributing to the community and all of these other amazing things that they do just by being part of that system. So you're also helping to support families across the income spectrum. Can you talk a little bit about how that will work with Common Ground Collective and what issues it's addressing? Um, so when we develop the business model, you know, obviously there is the ability for it to be a for-profit business and we were kind of offered that option. But when we really looked at it, um, because agricultural is a, it's a spendy industry as far as like overhead cost and things go and the people that I interviewed that are doing farming work for landowners had 
wanted to help more people, but because it's so labor intensive and because there were so many wealthy landowners that were willing to pay for the services, they never really got around to helping the people that needed it, even though that's what they had wanted to do originally. And so we really took that to heart and you know, we're all about helping people. I think that's basically a, a shared passion among everybody in our board is we really enjoy helping people. So we realized that if we decided to go for profit, that we wouldn't be able to help the people that really needed the help the most and couldn't afford it. So we decided to take a look at the federal poverty guidelines for Hawaii State, and we modified that to supplement the cost for um, families and landowners. So we charge on a sliding scale based upon the household size and income. So the two combined um, to make sure that anybody that wants help um, can get help. And these are, you know, families that have lived here and have kids and really could use it and would benefit the most from it, most likely because they would get out and eventually start working this land and be really engaged more. So let's paint a picture a bit about what that would look like. A family that's been here for generations and they have this piece of land. Maybe there's been a lot of development around them, so suddenly their property taxes are going up and the land could be used for agriculture, but they don't have time. They've got kids and they're already working multiple jobs to stay here. How could your services help them? Um, so I'm a single mom and I work multiple jobs. So when I was coming up with the sliding scale model, I was like, realistically, I have no money to put into helping get any property into production. And at what point would I have money? So federal poverty guideline, it starts at 100% is usually where they start adding on fees for like healthcare clinics and other nonprofits and things like that. Um, we actually took it up to 175. You start paying 10%. So I don't have the breakdown on me, but if by addressing the fact that it, the cost of living here is so high and that realistically, even though you should be able to pay at a certain point, that's just not how life really is. So these families that work multiple jobs and have kids in sports that they have to shuttle them to, they don't have any time. So what we could do is go in and we start the plan for them. We help them become their LLC. And then we would do a contract to do the plan and make sure that it was long enough for our hard costs to be covered in the end. And so as this time goes, two to three years, um, they slowly pay back those hard costs while they're seeing a little bit of profit. And in that time, they can learn how to do things and hopefully even quit one of their multiple jobs or start to feel more comfortable so that they can be empowered to make more of those profits once the hard costs are covered and this becomes you know, more money in their pocket. So it's, it's up to the landowner, the family, is how much they want to um, gain from the farm that we're helping them create. So you would help them implement a farm plan on their land and, and grow a crop that, that there's a demand for, that there's a market for and help them connect to the people that want that crop. So suddenly there's income coming in from the land that they're on, and you'd even educate them so that they can take over the services themselves, and you guys can drop out, and it can just be this thing that supports them. 
That's yeah, right. that's correct. That's and awesome. then they also save on their property taxes. So that one thing that may have been scaring them, like, hey, I might have to sell my family land because I can't afford to live here. Costs have gone up so much for living. And then all these houses around me that were supposed to be ag are now being assessed at market and they're doing all these renovations and I can't afford to pay even my property taxes anymore. Mm -hmm. So that helps in that area too. Mm -hmm. For instance, if you take the aging homeowner who also wants to see their land in cultivation and can somewhat afford it, um, we can offer our services a la carte. We can do the install or we could just do maintenance or we could just do harvest and take to market. So there's different aspects of it that they can choose the best plan for themselves, for their property. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It could be whatever suits you the best is how we will help you. That's kind of the idea is to have it be a flexible scenario so that we're never going to be in jeopardy of denying someone over a, a criteria that we couldn't come to agreements on. And it just supports the community no matter where you stand on it. You're also helping to collect market data that the county and state need for identifying funding reasons. Can you talk a little bit more about what that system is, how it's set up, and then how Common Ground Collective is addressing making that system even more effective? When I started doing research on collecting uh, agricultural data, I went back to the 2012 Agriculture Census um, that the USDA had put out for the state of Hawaii. And it was really interesting to go down and look at some of the data. There were some crops that were completely left out, like lychee. And I thought, that's incredible. That's a huge industry, for Maui anyway. Why is it not being addressed here? And so I had went previously and made my own list of ag products, and I compared it to uh, this 2012 census, and there was probably 12 or 15 markets that weren't being addressed, um, including sprouts and microgreens. So as we started to understand the current system at play, we started to see the gaps that weren't being um, followed and addressed. So uh, we took that into consideration and then we asked ourselves, okay, who's who are the players in this? Uh, it's the grocery stores, it's the restaurants, it's the big farmers, it's the small farmers. So we started connecting with different restaurants and different grocery stores and different farmers and asking them, you know, what are you growing? What's your poundage per month? What are you wanting from the market? What are you seeing coming from the market? So it, we're trying to create a conversation between everyone. Currently, we're the only ones asking the questions, but we, we're looking to connect those farmers. So we, So say we have a farmer who has 20 pounds more kale than he thought he was going to have or that he ended up having more of. We can find you a market for that. We can find someone who's going to take 20 pounds or maybe even 10 pounds or maybe even five, but we will help you get that to market. We will help you get that sold. Say there's a restaurant who wants poha berries. And right now they only get three pounds, but they could really use 20. Sure, we will find you 20 more pounds of poha berry, whether it's out there somewhere, because we will ask our farmers first, or we'll grow it ourselves. So we're looking to 
start the conversations, continue the conversations, and fill in the gaps wherever we see them, whether we have to fill them in ourselves or whether we ask our local farmers to fill it in for us. So it's like you guys are the connectors. You're, you're seeing what their sum is of and what maybe is needed over here. And because like farmers don't have time to do that. They're out there on their land and they're just doing the best that they can. So you guys can just go and connect all the dots. Absolutely. And you're also helping farmers with the administrative needs of getting their products to market. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, we can help connect them with resources. So a farmer's job is just by farming alone is such a difficult job. Um, they work so hard. My hat's off to any farmers. They have long hours and stress and all this stuff. And we've seen the job description of a farmer really change over the last century too, to where, you know, before it was just, yeah, I grew my stuff and I sold it to my local market, like on a corner store. Now it's like 80% of their job is marketing. So it's a full-time job just to do marketing and making sure that you're up on those gap regulations and things. So when we were studying uh, sustainable food systems, we really saw that that was a huge um, issue in agricultural systems in general, is that there really wasn't support for farmers for these things like safety regulations or being up to date on what the, the markets want for their certifications or, you know, all these other things like where, what, what is it now? Because it's always changing. So helping them not only market their stuff if they want us to, but also helping keeping them up to date and funneling that information to them so that they're not out and, you know, struggling to find it and wasting time that they could be using to farm and do what they love to do. And you're helping in educating people how to grow food and in fact, even helping new farmers, young farmers enter the market and get experience. So how is that system working currently and what is Common Ground doing to address these issues? The educational aspect of our operation has to do a lot with just connecting people, I think, with the garden and getting them really involved with where their food comes from and recognizing the relationship that you need to foster to grow your own food uh, and then going beyond that once people see beyond hey we're growing food it's oh, we're growing food for the community and then it goes from we're feeding the community to oh we're actually have an economic benefit here um, so the education i think starts with uh, introducing people to growing their own food seeing that it's possible and the benefits of growing your own food are they're real obvious even the first day you pull your own carrot you know it's like this aha moment kind of where you're it's a there's a satisfaction so i think the education starts with getting people's hands dirty and uh, getting the connection to the food there's certainly what i feel is a separation of that connection people just go to the grocery store or they go to a restaurant and there's no real understanding of where the food comes from um, on top of just getting people's basic education if they you know want to keep educating themselves providing them with the resources to learn the best practices of organic farming uh, small farming certain cultivation tips uh, whether it's a foster farm or a fresh one. Farming is dynamic and it's always changing. Some summers you'll get waves of insects. Other times you'll get waves of uh, 
funguses and bacteria. So you, you have to be adaptable and having a common ground collective, which will help shrink the gaps and make it easier for you to grasp the idea of farming on a small scale or even farmers that are existing on a bigger scale. It's just, it's about providing support. And I think the education goes on from that first time of planting and harvesting yourself. So education is uh, really vast within our organization. So we're trying to help inform, you know, institutions that are making decisions where our infrastructure for the ag system is kind of failing. We're providing information between other organizations that are trying to help in this too and just opening up communication. And then for the landowners, you know, providing that education and hands-on. And when you come down to landowners, you create a horizontal education rather than a vertical. Vertical is kind of what you see in institutions where you kind of move up the ladder of education. And that's a, it's a wonderful model for education, but it really doesn't impact a lot of people. It's more of that one person and who they come in contact with when they have time as they're moving up the rungs. When you go out and you're working with community members and landowners and their kids are there, you begin to spread the education horizontally. And so you affect more people. The information spreads more rapidly because there's minimized barriers to entry. So that's another way that we're spreading education. And then for the workforce, um, filling in that gap between where farmers are just getting out of whatever program they're going to, whether it be FAM or Go Farm or UH's agricultural program or they're you know, learning on their own, we're kind of that in-between to where they can get out of school but not have to go in right away into purchasing land and putting all that money into farming where it's really kind of uncertain and there's so many things that could go wrong that could cost them so much money. So they can come with us, Foodscape, for a few years, learn the different climates, different areas, different crops, really get a feel of all the different ways that they can farm so that they are more comfortable and have more experience under their belt for when they do go and invest the money to be a farmer for themselves. So we're just kind of like that middle ground. Um, and then also there's gonna be people as we you know, look at our generation that may not want to farm full-time or have their own farm, but it doesn't mean that they don't love working with the land or just wanting to farm. So we're also that middle ground for, you know, especially like millennials that still like to go on vacation and still want their benefits and don't want to just give their life completely to farming. We provide a way for them to do what they love, put their headphones in and get in the dirt and, you know, get dirty and, you know, be in nature and not at a cubicle and make it fun again for them to have that kind of job. So we're opening up that market too to prospective workforce employees and things. I love it. It's like you're really looking at what do we have a lot of? Well, Maui does have a lot of ag land and we also have a lot of people that want to be outside and that want to be working the land. And you're looking at how can how can we make that all connect and happen and find that ground, that common collective ground <laughs> where it can really happen and, and really benefit the land and the people here. Just I'm I'm really stoked on what you guys are up to. <laughs> so when you're going to people's yards of various sizes, what sort of plants and crops do you want to help landowners grow and add to the local market? What kind of farming practices might you use? Well, 
I guess it would all depend on the conversation we have with the landowner and what the data that we're collecting is telling us. So if we're talking about three acres in Haiku versus one acre in Kula, it would all depend on rainfall, soil type, soil health, elevation, what the owner is willing to do, what they're not willing to do. If the market is saying, we need 50 pounds of turmeric, then that's what we're going to recommend to the haiku owner who wants some passive farming going on. We will be implementing a permaculture design, which uh, Jen has a special interest in and has studied and also regenerative methods. Yeah, so I think, um, especially when you get into that word regenerative and biodynamic and permaculture, there's so many offshoots of that. And we're not really looking to categorize it in one. What we're really looking to do is work with the environment rather than against it. So planting smart, making sure that we're working with the climate, the rainfall, that we're choosing as many native plants as we can to input in those designs and you know things that make sense. So because we're going in and doing a lot of the maintenance for people in these um, plans is what people are going to want us for is the maintenance and the harvesting and installation. We want to take into account how much effort they are gonna to want to put in because we don't wanna put in super intensive crops and then oh, you're going to pay us to come out every single week, that doesn't make financial sense to them. So we're pushing landowners to plant more passive crops, um, mamake, get root vegetables and things like that that are going to make sense, fruit trees that work for those areas, even hardwoods, that they can see a return on investment further down the line. It doesn't matter whether they stay with us or not. It makes more sense for them to invest in their property. So if it's a brand new couple and we do a design for them and we do a border of hardwood, that's something that they can pay for their baby's college with down the road. So it's not necessarily right away. When you think permaculture, you want to think of constant streams of abundance coming in and out and putting back in, but also that it's not super intensive work-wise. So that's kind of how we would plan and making sure that it works with. So building soil health and making sure that we're creating those habitats and protecting watersheds and things. Why would you put natives in these plants? The thing that permaculture really focuses on is building soil health. And so these are plants that are made for this ecosystem and they are beneficial not only to, you know, the property, but also to the living things that inhabit this island. And so building up that biodiversity, even if it's, you know, just a few plants on each property, it makes a big difference because we've lost so much of our biodiversity because we've just taken out all these plants and put in grass. So we need to start integrating that back in. And there are some beautiful native Hawaiian plants, and many of them have uses, whether it be for food or medicinal or textiles or cultural significance. So there are uses for these plants. Um, when you look at indigenous cultures, there's really not unuseful plants. And we're looking at that. That's kind of what permaculture is based on is studying indigenous cultures, how they thrived for so many years and how they really shared a perspective of we are part of the earth. 
and you know we give back and we take from but we appreciate that at the same time on your website you say that one of your goals is to elevate the kanaka maoli population by providing resources and collaboration of education and community building how do you want to promote and provide resources for our native hawaiian community so a lot of the times they're left out of conversations. You know, we see a lot of people coming in from other places and saying, this is what we should do. Um, and they aren't part of that conversation. So while it's really a disservice to them, it's also a disservice to everybody in the community because they were natural stewards of this land. They're brilliant horticulturists. The way that they managed the land from Makaramakaya was amazing. So to be able to elevate them, bring them back in and give them the resources they need to be those stewards once again, not just to you know empower them, but to also educate us and the rest of the community on how much we could do to change and really build up our island and our communities again. So that's kind of what we want to do. And you know, when we say elevate, there's really not a way to say how much we can benefit from helping them find their way out of the oppression that they've suffered for so long to kind of get back in the reins and really lead the communities again. Yeah, I think Jennifer put it perfectly. I think it's uh, as much of, um, it, this all sounds like we're gonna be teaching a lot of people, but we're also very open to learning. And uh, undoubtedly, you know, the native Hawaiians have been here for eons. And so we have much to learn from their practices mm -hmm. and what their uh, culture has allowed them to survive in these islands for so long that we undoubtedly uh, could take a note or two from them for sure. And so bringing them, like they said, to the conversation is very important, not just for them, but for us as well. Is there anyone that you'd like to appreciate or say thank you to as Common Ground Collective comes into formation? First and foremost, we need to thank our CEO, Jennifer Karaja, because she has been instrumental in getting Common Ground Collective off the ground. When we first started talking about this, the light in her eyes and the excitement in her voice is just amazing. Even now when she, uh, when we go to meetings and she's talking about Common Ground, I'm just like, oh yeah, it gets me excited to hear her talk. So thank you, Jennifer. It just, it warms my heart to know uh, that you've put so much work and effort into this and you're just absolutely amazing. We could not have done this without you. There's no way. Here, here. Yeah. <laughs> I extend the exact same gratitude and Therese has been right there too. And so I really have a lot of appreciation for both these girls and what they've accomplished and I look forward to just helping where I can, but um, I really thank you guys for including me and bringing me aboard, and I really like it. Um, I want to thank the board. I mean, Therese has been with me from day one, and listening to people say, this is a pipe dream, good luck. She's like, okay, we're going to do it. Yeah, we're going to do it? Yeah. <laughs> so, and then me roping in all of the other board members, you know, hey, we're going to do this thing and it's huge and you want to be a part of it and they're like 
Oh, yeah. And really excited about it and really giving their heart and soul to it and backing us up because it's not nonprofits are not an easy world. And I didn't I don't think any of us really knew what we were getting into because it's just been so much work. But it's it feels good because we are seeing how much people really want it and it just kind of keeps pushing it. And I wouldn't be able to do it without them at all. And I also want to thank my mentor, uh, Marion Scott, who kind of roped me into permaculture and um, put up with me dragging my kid along and doing work for her and then giving me private college lessons about all the different things and ways that we could grow things and make this island vibrant again. Article 11 of the Constitution of the State of Hawaii states that the state shall conserve and protect agricultural lands, promote diversified agriculture, increase agricultural self-sufficiency, and assure the availability of agriculturally suitable lands. What role does this project, Common Ground Collective, play in self-sufficient and diversified agriculture for the state of Hawaii? Um, I think right now, because so many lands that are zoned ag are not being utilized as ag, there is a push to get those properties zoned into development or used for other uses. And once you get them taken out of ag, you're not going to get them put back. So this is really a pivotal moment for our community. We have to keep these ag land zoned ag or we will not be able to sustain ourselves in the future. It's just, it will be no way if we pave over everything and you know rip everything out and build. We have to keep these ag land zoned ag and by us going out and starting this small movement, we can show how valuable even small properties can be to the system to make sure that they are maintained ag zoned. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we end the interview? I do. Yeah. So because we're a new nonprofit, I mean, we came up with this model maybe a year and a half ago. We've been working to do the business plan and financial projections. We've got the board together. We've been networking, but we need support. Like none of us are getting paid. <laughs> we're basically doing all the administrative services with no funding. Um, but to get the mobile farming services off the ground, we have to purchase equipment. We have to be able to pay the mobile farmers. We have to pay for insurance. We have to do all this stuff. And it really is more than we have or are capable of funding. So that's kind of where we need help. We want to see this happen, but um, it takes a village. This will take an entire community to make happen because we are supporting an entire community. So any way that people want to get involved, whether you want to just help out a few hours with the board or you can come out to events or you're a teacher and you want to share your knowledge or you have funds to help support us or can connect us with people that have funds to support us. This is all things that we need um, because, you know, we're just we're just doing out of this out of love right now. But to really see it flourish, we need more help. So you can visit our website at commongroundcollective.com. We have a lot of information about what we're offering, how we're helping the community. If you'd like to sign up for um, a volunteership or an internship, we'll also be offering that. And you can donate on the website as well. <laughs> we also have a donate button. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for this opportunity to hear what you guys are doing and share it with our audience. Thank you, Story Connective, for reaching out and giving us the opportunity to speak and share what we're doing. Thanks. Thank you. Yeah, thank you and giving us the opportunity to share our story. That's huge. So we really appreciate it.
You can learn more about Common Ground Collective at www.commongroundcollective.com. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. We are so grateful to Nicholas, Jennifer, and Therese for sitting down and sharing their story with us of their awe-inspiring organization, which has definitely been inspiring us ever since we heard about it. The Story Connective is 100% listener and viewer supported. The stories we see and hear shape what we think is possible, and we want more people to be educated and inspired to be part of a positive future. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can catch all of our future episodes. If you support Story Connective's 501c3 mission and vision of bringing inspiring stories of resilience and possibility to the world, please make a donation. We really appreciate your support. You can make a one-time donation at www.storyconnective.org or become a patron, meaning you give us a donation each time we create a piece of content. And that could be $1 or as much as you want. Please learn more at patreon.com storyconnective or by using the Be a Patron button on the Podbean podcast app. We run on donations and we really appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support. Interview by Rebecca Rhapsody at storyconnective.org. Audio recording by Loxy Clovis at storyconnective.org. Audio production by Loxy Clovis. The intro song is Which That Is This by Dr. Turtle, released under the Creative Commons Attribution License. And the outro song is by Rebecca Rhapsody. Special thanks to our nonprofit fiscal sponsor, Elsa, at ellssa.org. The purpose of this audio interview is for nonprofit education news and commentary. This podcast is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License. Thank you very much for listening to The Story Connective.